0: Value stream mapping has a way to get context of your role in ecosystem, not only helps drive greater purpose of each one of the contributions along the way, but also drives greater clarity of uh, senior leadership in the C-suite to make appropriate investment and divestment decisions for yeah. people and technology.
1: What's up, I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production.
0: Hey everyone, Chrissy McGarry here, COO of Second Front Systems. Excited to share with all of you that you are now able to sign up for our annual Offset Symposium. Imagine attending the number one national security symposium located at the Ronald Reagan Building in Washington, DC on Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. During the symposium, you'll be able to hear from some of the leading experts in the defense tech space and VC communities. Individuals like Nund, the CTO of the CIA, and General Raymond, formerly of the Space Force, will be there participating in fireside chats and conversations. Don't worry. You can locate our full agenda at secondfront.com backslash offset dash symposium. Make sure you sign up today. Space is limited.
1: All right. What's up, nerds? Welcome to another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring defense talk comes to die. Uh, my name is Tyler Sweat. I'm your host. Super excited you're here. Uh, I'm going to open with a little bit of a shameless plug. Uh, if you've not signed up for our Offset Symposium on May 16th, you're wrong. You should do that now. And uh, today, really honored, joined by Paul Bucket, uh, Army Cloud fame, Pivotal fame, Current Clarity fame, a uh, little bit of everything. And i uh, really excited to have you here, brother. Thanks I'm for making time. Stoked to be here, man. This Heck yeah. Fun. Heck yeah. So, uh. Want to sort of do? Uh, let us let everybody hear a little bit of your story, kind of to open it up. So, give me the the high points on the how you sort of became the the Paul that people will come out of crowds to say hello <laughs> to. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: simple, simple play by play. End up dropping out of college uh, back in uh, 2006. I was forced to get a job. Got a job doing desktop support for CACI. Um, fell in love with solving problems with technology. Uh, was supporting the Department of State at the time, uh, and got to know a number of different people that worked in the building. And this was as they were building out the embassy in Iraq, and so got to also see my friends halfway around the world uh, impacted by real life events, trying to deliver amazing things uh, to support dis- diplomacy, uh, and just kind of fell in love with the mission. Right in those. My grandfather was also a pilot in uh, the Navy. And he was always like, hey, man, like if you want to fly planes, just don't do it in the Navy. Go into the Air Force. With all due respect to the Navy, that's his opinion. Um, and so anyways, uh, way back in the early age, um, serving your country, you know, uh, defending our freedoms, those were all things were like, you know, I just naturally grew up in. Um, and then uh, moved from CACI, uh, got a job as a govy over at National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. And that's where I really got exposed to... Expose to uh, to do some really awesome things, helped build out uh, their data center uh, out in Bahrain that was all around, hey, instead of giving everyone their own you know, desktop and application locally, can we do web-based capabilities when it comes to imagery uh, exploitation and analysis? And so that's kind of like online, on-demand data when and where I need it thing was really spawned back in uh, 2014, and then brought that into standing up, uh, what was called GeoInt Services, still is, but it was all about How do I use modern software development, open source, build low, deploy high, cloud-based capabilities, and DevOps uh, as a practice? Uh, And so built out the the IT world over there. It became the foundation for what many adopted as uh, DevOps pipelines uh, across the DoD today. Um, Helped uh, write the first continuous ATO, and I left NGA in 2018 and joined a company called Pivotal as their federal CTO. Uh, create the playbook for that, and then work with uh, all the emerging software factories, uh, and then got a call uh, from a buddy that was like, "Hey, the army's trying to adopt uh, cloud computing, uh, and uh, you've got some experience doing cloudy stuff and some DevOpsy stuff over at NGA. You know, would you be would you be curious to get your name in the hat?" I was like, "Sure thing."
1: Wanted some more pain. Sure thing. <laughs> no, we, man, can we well, go to teach the army about the internet. Well,
0: no, it's, it's like sad. it's like so. Like uh, I've, I've shared this before, but like. Uh, I wanted to become a govy in the first place because I worked for a government dude who was just fire. um and I was like, man, he treats people like people. It's not like this weird break between like goveies and contractors, And he also understands technology, so like he's making good decisions, people like working for him. I was like, I want to do that. So that's why I became a govy, and then I left government actually because I was pissed at my boss at the time, uh, with all due respect. you um,
1: <laughs> uh, just get a sign that was like with all due respect. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're gonna, you might say that a lot, but um, but no, when I got the call, it was it was a, "Hey, you're really actually being asked to do what that person was doing before, which means that you're not going to be put in a position to make really hard des- decisions, which what, the reason I left is because they weren't making the hard decision I felt yeah. they needed to make. And so it was like, hey, like you know I've been, I've been complaining about this thing, but do I actually have what it takes to make uh, to make hard decisions? So that's that's one of the main reasons I came back in is to to really learn what that space is like when it comes to difficult decisions, how you make those decisions to try and move at the right speed. And so it was more so a challenge, you know, for me than, than it was anything else. So no, super jazzed. I, I did it. Um, I drove that for three years um, and uh, I really think it's got your most momentum and it's going to stick. And so then why the new challenge? Yeah. Um, so yeah, then, then left at the end of the term, came out the clarity. Now that they're as their CTO and yeah, man, love life. Building great software.
1: Heck yeah! Yeah. Um, You've had that unique experience to have some really interesting vantage points, Mm -hmm. kind of on the inside, on the outside, at sort of the the bigger the CACI, the pivotal slash VM, you know, and then in as sort of like cloud guy, Mm -hmm. ATO guy. Um, As you look on sort of current state of defense tech and national security tech, um, are you optimistic? pessimistic yeah. <laughs> softball question oh, right out of the fun oh Jeez, man. I
0: was talking to someone <laughs> the other day. It's like, when you talk to most pessimists, right. Um, they would label themselves as realists. Right. Um, no, man, I'm, I'm an optimist, man, because I see like uh, just the other day, like calling out something that was just super wrong and, and jacked up. Um, and I was like, sweet. That's awesome. And I like, I thumbed it up but most people are like, oh, that's not good. Uh, and I was like, hey, just want everyone's to say, like, we're definitely not in a great place, but uh, I thumbed it up because you can't fix stuff unless you know, like, what's up, so you got to be able to move forward. I think the beautiful thing is more and more people talking these days about defense tech, uh, the valley of death, um, incentive structures, skill sets, like, we're talking about all the right things. We can each point as 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 an example of certain places where, like, Driving after the right people, the right methodologies, the right technologies, the right approaches, the right leadership styles—like you can talk about more and more examples these days. I think that you could five years ago. Yeah. No doubt, we need more, right? There's some really dramatic stuff I think people are overlooking and just not addressing. Um, but we have examples of where it's been called out and where we see successes that are measurable, right? And so I'm an optimist around that. Like you, like listen, when it comes to like learning, like. I always forget who said it, but I heard it first from Marcuse, where it was like, uh the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. I forget who said that. It wasn't Josh, although Josh is a brilliant dude. Give Josh um, credit. Yeah, it? there you go. Yeah. Good job, Josh. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> right. One one iteration quote, uh, Josh Marcuse. Um and so like I, I just lean to that, man. It's just not yeah. evenly distributed. So how do we how do we try and make it more evenly distributed? That's all. Yeah. So I'm an pull, optimist. Pulling on
1: that, pulling on that optimism okay. and talk to me about the okay. incentives, right? Like how how are we thinking about in the valley of death? Like it's so fetch right now. Everybody's talking about it. And I mean, I'm, I'm grateful they're talking. About it. Like there's, there's, there has to be, I think I'm hopeful. There has to be some goodness sure. that everybody's talking about it. And there's just dynamism everywhere and it's great. But at a practical level, like how do we actually start to get from front door all the way through scale, mm-hmm. how do we create those behaviors? Because there's this whole human level to it. Oh, so when There's you come, all these incentive structures that are misaligned.
0: Dude, so it's very true. Uh, a few different things. One, call out for everyone. We need to help Tyler on his journey to get fetch adopted. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's, uh, it's oh, geez. I snuck uh, it into South by. You did. I, we all heard it. We all heard it. Um, all right, so... I didn't plan it, but when it comes to like my career, I worked as a defense contractor, I worked as a government civilian in the intelligence community, I worked in commercial software product as a product company, and then I worked over in the DOD as a civilian and senior executive. Pretty unique vantage points, right? What I learned the most is different behaviors driven by incentive structures of where and how you sit. And in my role in the Army, Being aware of playing a role in each one of those worlds, to me, it was like I was able to balance these variables that constantly have to be balanced, right? It's like when you get into photography, right? Like everyone knows when it comes to exposure, you have to do with aperture, right? Like how much light you're going to be letting in, the sensitivity of the sensor, and how long the actual shutter is open, right? Like those three things you're constantly shaping. So if you think of the incentives of the services side of the house, the product side of the house, and the government side of the house, like how all those three things can all benefit together. Because again, the outcome is the mission for everyone, right? That's really important. And if you don't fit, if, if you don't understand the incentive structure of each and you, and you write something where you're like, ooh, well, I'm going to buy down my risk and I'm going to put all the risk on this thing over here. Yeah. What they're failing to realize is that the combination of those two things together Equals your ability to deliver an outcome. And so like government writing contracts where you'll hear, you'll hear it even talk about openly. where they're like, hey, I'm going to write a firm fixed price thing, explicit deliverables. So I make sure I get exactly what I want from that contractor. Because I don't want them getting all creative and stuff and spending my money. Uh, And so I'm going to buy down my risk and have them own the risk of like, how much it's going to cost all that. It's, It's on you, whatever you fit in your firm fixed price thing. And I was like, guys, do you know the future? And they're like, oh, no. And I'm like, cool. Do your deliverables essentially assume the future? Oh, they do. Would you think that that's risky? Yes, it is risky. And so I just think incentive structures are just yeah. jacked. It's the same thing when it comes to like this movement of DevOps, right? Like what it was for the like whole purpose of DevOps was like, hey, devs on this in their own world. IT operations yep. are in their own world. But the only reason either of those two exist <clears throat> is to serve my business needs. Yep. So how do I align incentive structures and practices and cultures and therefore tools and people, all the skill sets, everything to just ultimately serve the value of the business, which is continuously delivering and competing and maintaining and capturing and growing a market. Yep. The same thing needs to be looked at across the DoD and the IC. Are you actually incentivizing the behaviors of the people in the organizations to serve the ultimate value of the mission And i would hypothesize no yeah. uh so i just anyways i just think incentives needs to be fundamentally tweaked so when you add the value of death like new software products atos the right way of buying the right way of um just even delivering quality first like my team when we first started we're like hey the scale of the army's coming army's big 1.3 million people are coming we got to prepare for scale. And I was like, guys, we've got to prepare for quality first. Yep, And then you scale quality, right? So like, and if you find yourself where your quality is waning, stop scaling. And I would argue there are many things that are happening in the DoD that don't even need to care a damn about scale at all.
1: Sorry. No, I mean, it's, I told you, we were talking earlier. I was up on the Hill yesterday talking to a couple of buddies about, hey, you you look across the DoD and the IC, who actually owns? traversing you know mm-hmm. each respective sort of value mm-hmm. like there's innovation shops everywhere yep. like dod has got a named unit yep. that they have yet to name a successor for yep all right the ic in theory is putting some stuff some interesting sort of comparables <laughs> together but we've like disaggregated this like really complicated process sort of value chain into all of these discrete steps and then we've stove piped so somebody owns Hey, the front door, maybe, maybe get them in, get them interested first, you know, non-dilutive grant or something like that. Somebody else maybe owns what we'll call a transition, but I would say that's like a super soft (laughs) T and it's like a continuation of the initial thing. And then there's this mythical unicorn and it's like, and then it goes into a PEO, or then it goes into a major program. And at the beginning, you know, everyone's like, Hey, that sounds awesome. You brief. It's great. Then you're like, Hey, how? Like how does it get there, and everybody gets really quiet, <laughs> and like the truth comes out that like you have to pay Sherpas to figure out how to navigate any of this, and you peel back the layers, and there's like not a lot of transition that's occurring at scale. Well, I I uh, I just want to like I want to like peel back each
0: one of the each one of the pieces to it, where it's like even the construct of something something becoming like a program of record. Right, and and the way that like you then structure something like a PEO, that's still falling into this whole entire methodology and practice. Somebody made the comment the other day, so it's not even mine. Of like the Soviet era of acquisition, right? Like that that massive structure of like we've hit it and now we move to the next step. Like if you're in one world talking about like agile delivery of capability, and then the other world, you're like, hey, how do we break into this thing and get into the plan three years ahead of time, like we're perpetuating the old world, thinking that like the goal is to become a program of record. How many programs of record have become programs of record and have failed to deliver anything of value? It's like, I don't even think that that's that's the aim here. Like the aim is like, how do I get into operations and validate this idea that I'm going to have value or not? And then build on that value. And geez, I want to say- Yeah, it's
1: funny because cut you off. I think people get, they got this like kink about programs of record because it's the only thing that's recurring and that is like, has a degree of stability. Yeah. And to, but I agree, with it's 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 divorced from an, an operational outcome yeah, hard. or a capability delivery.
0: And that's not to say that there aren't programs of record that aren't delivering operational outcomes. That's not the point. The point is, is that I would argue you're the exception to the rule of failure, right? Yeah. And like the fact that you're actually delivering valuable stuff, I would argue the stability that comes from it is typically how we say, hey, give us this whole shebang of a thing And it's so tightly coupled or like if you happen to be part of those things selected, you're like, I'm good for seven to 10 years of something. Yeah. But it's not seven to 10 years of value. It's seven to 10 years of like being in business. When like if we are acquiring things, I made this comment uh, at South by it's like if we're acquiring things in a standard based interoperable open architecture, then some new technology could come two years into a program of record and be like, oh, my gosh, this is way better. Um, I can actually, you know, pull this thing out and replace it with this other thing, and like the standards and interfaces doesn't fundamentally change. I don't have to rip out and replace it. It's not like I'm pulling out the central nervous system of the, the capability. Um, like that, that to me makes way the heck more sense. And then you don't get the stability, but again, you then refocus people on on value. But the point I was going to say before is like when Space Force first was kicking up as an idea, I think they presented something to Congress. They were like, hey, we want one budget line item, like one funding line when it comes to the entire life cycle of a capability, I don't want to say it got shot down. I'm actually, I'm fairly certain it got shot down. But the issue is, is because the ability to track and measure deliverables and things along the way and how those who are essentially saying, hey, we're entrusting you with these dollars, i.e. Congress who's spending taxpayer dollars on initiatives to deliver for the national security mission needs a, c- a certain amount of oversight. And it's like, how can we appeal to that oversight, rightfully so, to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars, but also at the same time, create space and room for maneuverability, Yeah. all right? And just feel like it's too fixed and too locked down. Um, and it was actually something in the Army we poked at pretty hard and actually saw some momentum in um, by saying, hey, instead of writing requirements that are like, you know, thou shalt do this on Thursday at 3.52 p.m. like with these things in your hand, it's like something might change between now and next Thursday. Yep. So yep. it's like, hey, how about you just get home safely and not have, you know, a ticket along the way. Oh, okay, cool. And that means I have to obey the law. It means I also have to pay attention to the weather. Like I've got to do all these different things, but it gives you room to maneuver and navigate. And it's aimed after the outcome to be achieved, getting home safely and no one's dead and you're not going to jail. Right. Like, can we write requirements that way? And it's, yes, it's called objectives, right? You can still put a certain amount of money around. It's like getting home is not going to cost you $30 billion. Um, so that little bit of room in space still creates oversight, but gives uh, maneuver space. And I think it personally changes the incentives along the way.
1: Yeah. You know, as you talk about sort of that speed, that rigidity, you know, you use the the sort of open architecture, that mm-hmm. sort of modularity aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might be a self-serving question. Mm-hmm. But as you know, you look at different organizations that are. Maybe trying to act as interlocutors or helping to try to maybe abstract away some of the complexity. Do you think roles like that should be needed? Do you think there's opportunity to take advantage of sort of shared responsibility models like at scale? Like, it's a super loaded question. I don't know if I know the answer, um, but, like, we're just going to go there. let <laughs> just, just <laughs> well, see it's, where this goes.
0: Well, it's like... It- <sighs> So uh, I maybe I'll I'll tackle it this way. I feel like architecture and design for like interoperability and playing the long game has has kind of been uh, divorced out of acquisitions in the DoD. Yeah, oh like yeah. no one Oh like, yeah. there's no shortage of people that can tell you like, "Hey, yeah, we've got a TOGAF or a like a DODAF architecture OV55, right, that no one's ever looked at. It's like cool. Someone like way up in like La La Fun Idea Land was like, "Here's how the interfaces touch." And like no one
1: give give a damn. <laughs> There's one quad chart right. building that has the answer.
0: <laughs> but it's but it's like no one gave <laughs> a damn of that. And it's like my buddy Don Yesky, who again, Navy, you need to make him not the acting CTO, but just the CTO of, of the Navy uh, point made. Um, like he's driving after like, hey, that's just like gross paperweights. We actually need people embedded in understanding this interoperable operable ecosystem as we're delivering this thing. And so like I feel like people that live in the business of like glue code to tie it all together to like make a business out of it because no one else has to understand it. Like uh, to me, that's playing your own personal game, but like we are all in this business for the long game of the national (laughs) defense strategy. Right. So like, how are we constantly aiming after that thing? And I think it changes behaviors for interoperable architectures. I think it changes behaviors for people who are like, Hey, I'm in the services business, but I'm not about just scaling services. I want to actually deliver something that has like return on its value for you government yeah. whilst keeping me in, in the business. And I always liken it to people that play in that space as like the good mechanic, right? Like, hey, like I've got this weird noise oh, coming good, from my good. car, right? I go to I go to this mechanic and the person's like, oh, it turns out you just had a loose bolt. Like nothing wrong with your brakes. Brake's are absolutely fine. Totally good. And like, how do I show you? I was like, dude, it was one bolt. Don't worry about it. But... You might need to do tires, right? You're at whatever mill. And it's probably going to last you another 10K miles. Well, in 15,000 miles, because no one ever does it on the dot. But like 15,000 are like, oh, it's like I'm split a little bit. It's raining outside. It's about that time. Yeah. You're going to go to the good mechanics. So like they may not get business in that thing, but they're like, they're a trusted advisor because the goal is, hey, I just don't want people, you know, dying on the streets. Right. Like
1: that's, that's why I'm here. It's funny. The the trusted advisor aspect. There is... Like I find it more. Maybe I want to believe it's more in like the national security sort of arena, like the value of trust and how much of everything that gets done is less about the prescriptive policy or the org chart, or mm-hmm. and it is you know the six degrees of Kevin Bacon equivalent of trust. Like, can you vouch for vouch for vouch for vouch for vouch for? And everyone's got like a real short list of all right. If I'm really stuck, I call like. Bob, Harry, or Sally, and they're going to tell me somebody to call. who's yep. going to tell me somebody. Um, I don't think a lot of people get that. That a lot of it isn't, it's not a robotic, big, sort of, like, yes, it's a bureaucracy. And, like, yes, there's thousands of fucking people in it. Well, But it's uh,
0: people. But that's, uh, there's two different things that I thought of as you're asking that question. So when I was at NGA, I got pulled into so many different meetings that had nothing to do with Um uh, and I would describe it as my friends would be like, hey, I've got another bullshit meeting to go to. And they're like, what's that? And they're like, well, I'll have friends that are like, I feel like I'm just being told it's just a whole bunch of bullshit. But like, I'm not like a techie yeah. person. And I'd be like, I don't understand what business you're in, but like, I like tech. And so they just pull me into a meeting and be like, hey, like, what are they talking about? Like, is that actually like, does that even make sense? That's actually how I got in how in, in, uh, included in the cloud stuff at NGA. Like, I wasn't part of the cloud PMO, yeah. but I had friends that were in the team and they are like, <laughs> There's this guy saying this crazy stuff, like, he comes sit in, and I was like, ooh. So it's
1: and, uh, somebody else's server.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I feel a lot of people don't, don't play that game, one, because I've actually seen people play it in a very different way, where, like, it's not about trust or whatever. It's like, well, their job is supposed to be this thing from, like, A to C, and I pick yeah. up at D, and I'm yelled at constantly from, like, how well D, E, and F are doing. So, like, as long as it's not D or an F, like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, and I think it's different because like people in the soft community they don't care about de enough they may play the role there, but they understand it's about getting from A to Z yeah right and I think when you become this is a hypothesis we have in a research paper we're writing but like as you become a larger and larger organization and you start to mature and you understand the boundaries of where you start and other people start um I you start to get a, a, a kind of tunnel vision of what it is that you're doing, and you lose that value stream, like we were talking about. And when you lose your your loss of context of where you are in the value stream, like whether you're a core role or a supporting role, whether you're even needed at all, right? Um, that's when you start to insulate, and that's when you start to draw, you know, metrics that only measure your little world. Yep. And therefore, as long as you did your thing, everything is fine, right? Like. I just think it's a flaw of large organizations as they become too big. And I saw it a lot in the Army. Army's the third largest organization in the world. Yep. And I don't think it's anyone's fault along the way. I just think it's like over time, you've like atrophied and you lost the point of like, hey, what's the whole point of any of us existing? Yeah, if every
1: year it just gets a little smaller, yeah. a little smaller, a little smaller. Yeah,
0: exactly. There needs to be part of the hypothesis research paper is uh, value stream mapping as, as a way to get context of your role in the ecosystem not only helps drive greater purpose of each one of the contributions along the way, but also drives greater clarity of uh, senior leadership in the C-suite to make appropriate investment and divestment decisions for yeah. people process, and technology. That's like a temporal positional
1: sort of relativity.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because everything is That's super interesting, right? Because it's not a point in time thing. It's a continuous thing. The world's yeah. constantly evolving your people, your process, and your technology should be constantly evolving and understanding like, for instance, I made this comment on the side that sounds angry, but, like, there are certain organizations that still exist today that serve absolutely no purpose for the value of the DoD. None. I love you, with all due respect. But, like, you just don't exist, but no one's in a place to be like, oh, that was once a core, critical thing that we yeah. need, and it should have moved into a supporting function, and now it should move into a div- divestment function, but it's still not happening because certain dominoes need to fall before it happens, and so it just kind of still persists. And I think it's the same thing with digital transformation today. Like, if we're driving after to replace where we were toiling with people, where technology has already filled that gap, it might mean an organization or a role goes away. Yeah. Right? But sometimes the people that you're asking to implement it are the people who are vying to take on the position of the thing that should be divested on. I of. mean, you
1: run into two, like, challenging. You've got that, right? Just like the... The sort of like political and emotional side of organizations that's mm-hmm. like, well, that's if that job goes away, what, what does that mean to my career, well, my journey? Say, right. And then you've got like the larger sort of political, like national security is like a little bit of jobs program in the United States. Yeah. So like removing jobs from that yeah, gets people who need to get reelected really upset. Uh, we can go back to Brac, right? <laughs> yeah. Base, base, super base, dangerous space to go, dude.
0: Base realignment and closure. Yes, actually, I
1: would love seven hundred new boats, please.
0: <laughs> right? Sick. Well, that's like base realignment and closure was super dramatic. Yeah. Why? Because constituents, constituents are like, yo, yeah. congressman, yeah. Uh, losing losing the job here.
1: Yeah, you want to um, get you want to get someone's attention. Exactly. That's like I'm closing this base.
0: Exactly. So, anyways, at the start of the army job, knowing that closing data centers and consolidating to cloud computing <laughs> was a big drive. Actually, I had a mentoring session with someone who, uh, former in, uh, we'll say, except, exceptionally senior spaces in the DoD. I was like, what about this problem? And he goes, that's not your problem. He's like, that's the Hill's problem. Do the right thing for the national security mission and for modernizing the DoD. Don't worry about that. Like, Like, be aware of it, but
1: that's not your job. Yeah.
0: And I was like, Okay, guy man. So yeah. no doubt, like rough, roughly trust that boogie man
1: is not gonna pop out right. of the fucking woods, but, <laughs> right?
0: But it's but I think it's I think it's part of it was a it was a reminder to me is like when you when you aim to only do something that lives within boundaries and appeals to someone's like way of thinking today, yeah. it may not be the right thing for the greater mission. And I even use the same thing for for stuff we're doing in the army. Is I would draw as part of the. And on the benefit of being clueless, like I had no experience with the Army. Like the deepest I went was the Army battalion over at NGA as a major customer of what we were doing in GWAT. But like, I don't really know the Army. So I'll drive architectures and do all these fun little things. And people are like, ooh, like that's so-and-so's job. And I was like, well, I don't know. Like it's the right thing to do. Then why aren't they doing their job? And so there's kind of a, a benefit to being clueless there. Whereas... I remember this one time I drew a network architecture of something and somebody else, I was like, Oh yeah, we drew a picture too. We like compared our pictures and I was able to draw like very clear lines and boundaries of the systems that they drew around existing organizations in the army. And I was like, look at mine. Can you draw those lines? And they're like, and I was like, you drew what we need according to authorities
1: today. What do we actually need according to where we can be in the the future? future. Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, as we're, we're sort of wrapping here and coming up on Mm -hmm. the, uh, them playing the Oscar music and telling us to get off stage. Mm-hmm. Um, as you look out over the next, let's say, three years, what are you most excited? You know, we talked in the beginning, sort of that optimism. Yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about incentives, yeah. doing the right thing by the national security community. Yeah. What are you most excited about? What are you most optimistic about? Uh, a few different things. I'm starting to see,
0: uh, like, one of the parts of, like, the Agile Manifesto is, like, the best architecture and designs come from self-forming teams, you're starting to see some of, I'll say, like the edges and pieces around the project convergence, project overmatch, and ABS, ABMS things as like the name things around Jad C two. You're starting to see some like community efforts that are taking that and then, I'd say, filling in the gaps to to deliver Jad C two just in day to day practice. And I'm I'm super jazzed for that. There are a number of different pieces of stuff happening, like from Project Ridgeway, uh, some of the stuff happening over in the soft community. Uh, some of the pieces of things that are happening across even some of the software factories across all of the DoD, um, where I see like really, really sweet movement. Uh, one, I'm jazzed about that. Two, a big part of kind of what we're doing over in the Army is, hey, how do we change the way that we write requirements and objectives? And what we do instead of caring about cost schedule and performance, period, we care about cost schedule and performance and the actual applied value and customer feedback. And so we unlocked some requirements um, over in, in, uh, in the Army That actually, in my opinion, shifts PEO focus from like upstream, did I meet the cost schedule performance, to being, okay, in context of cost schedule and performance, how do I meet the objectives of the actual customer and soldier? And I'm super jazzed for that because we're able to take Mm. a, sorry, you can't do that because we don't have money tied to it explicitly to do that, to, well, that's in my domain of the problem I'm here to solve. And so I'm seeing more examples of that in the PEO structure uh, um, Doug Bush, uh, who's uh, the acquisition executive for the Army, made this comment just the other day on a panel where it may seem like a little thing, but they took this notion of software sustainment that typically sits outside the authority of the PEO and folded it into the yep. PEO. Well, what does that mean? It means sustainment, which is really continuous enhancement, right? Now lives within their full life cycle. Yep. So now they're focused on how do I deliver V1 and V2 and V3 and V4 and they're empowered to do it. And so I see that shift starting to close these gaps of like DevOps and practice and pull down those barriers. Um, And I'm jazzed about that because I see more and more senior leadership recognizing the skill sets needed, new processes needed, new organizational structures needed. Um, And the last thing I'm super jazzed about, and and I'm I'm a hold to this one, so many growth opportunities for general officers within the military has to do with like what your branch is or where you're trained, what your thing was. But like Sue Gordon made this great point um, at an incidenter where she was like uh, technologists are like our future leaders. Like if you don't understand how to lead through technology, you don't understand how to lead for where we're going. Yeah. And so I see a beautiful world where we start opening up general officer positions across all soldiers that have experience with technology and we see technology skill sets as a core component to like forces command of the army and so i'm still holding out uh for like general stanton right like uh, bro needs to run force con. i'm dead serious right um but like i just see that world starting to uh to like converge and it
1: makes me super jazz love that yeah dude love that well look, thanks again for coming everybody thanks for tuning in it's uh it's always a treat for me to get to sit and, and shoot the poop with you. Hang, so, hang,
0: hang, hang with my buddies. Come on, stuff.
1: doesn't get better than this. Hey, thanks everybody. And uh, make sure to share, leave some feedback and uh, keep telling us who else you'd like to see on the podcast. So beat them. Wow, look at you, you made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check him out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird.